Welcome to the Vibe Lifter podcast. I'm Tish, one of the Reglan Food co-founders, and I'm here to help lift your vibe with inspiring stories from people out in their local communities doing good mahi. So settle in and let's meet our guest of the day. So today we're chatting with Elizabeth Dennis, a Reglan-based artist, writer, filmmaker, and community activator. Hello, Elizabeth. So nice to have you here and be able to catch up on all the many amazing things you've been doing. Thank you. Hello. (laughs) Nice to see you. So you are a lady with a lot on the go. Uh, Where has your creativity been leading you lately? Lately, in the past few months, I've been working on a documentary about um, the link between migration and mental health. I've been also... um, working on my first novel and I'm also a contributing writer for Deeper in Japan, which is a travel agency in Japan. I'm helping a local friend here in Raglan to do her first music video. So we did um, a few scenes in Auckland and on Friday we're going to finish it in Raglan at the old school. And yeah, I'm going to Barcelona for the my first um, writing residency ever. Which so is cool. Exciting. Yeah. When is that? That's the whole month of November. So I'll be there from the 1st of November until the end. And do you have to work on a particular project while you're there or can you write anything you feel like? Uh, I did have to. So it's a small village called um, El Baruc and it's 45 minutes away from Barcelona. And I had to explain why geographically the place was attractive to me and I had to pitch three kind of or a few different projects because I told them you know it was last year that I had to apply and I said maybe some of those projects will evolve or I will have them done already by the time I know if I'm accepted or not so they're open to evolution, but I think, yeah, they just wanted to see that I have a bit of an idea of what I could work on and what I have done before. So what I'm wanting to do so far is to um, do a bit of research in Barcelona and go after, if I can say, like, follow the trails of writers that lived in Barcelona. For example, like Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who's a Colombian mm. writer, he lived and died there, and there's other writers. It, it attracted a lot of writers, actually. And I want to be a bit like a detective and just go in those spaces and take photos and maybe have my own interpretation of this space or how mm. it could have inspired those people and or how it impacted me or what happened to me in those places. Yes. So it's a little bit like... Um, I have a French word in my in my head, but I don't know what it is in English. But when you you want to honor people that have inspired you, yes, yeah. So that's a little bit the idea, and to talk about their work as well. So like pay homage. Yeah, that's the French word, right? Yeah, pay homage to. Yeah, that would be the idea. And I, I'm also interested in linguistics, and I wondered the other idea that I had was to meet someone in that village that doesn't speak English or French. Yes. And I would go and see them and help them and we would communicate in some ways. And I would write about this exchange, like um, kind of... They might be drawing pictures or doing gestures or all other forms of communication other than 
language. Yeah, and I th like because there's a lot of French words that are similar to Spanish because they have the same Latin root. Mm. So maybe there are some words that he would or she would understand and vice versa. So yeah, that's the second option. The third one would be to continue working on some uh, short stories that I've been, like an anthology of short stories uh, okay. that I'm working on at the moment. Cool. Wow, so, you have yeah. plenty of options. <laughs> I know. There's a lot you could be doing on this residency that is very cool. Yeah. Um, I wondered if you could share a bit about how you ended up in New Zealand and what's kept you in Raglan. Because yeah. I've known you for a little while, but I don't actually know how you ended up here. I came here because of a partner at the time, mm. a Canadian guy, and he, we were both at the time surfing a lot. Before I met him, I was, I had traveled quite a bit. I had lived in Europe for a year and a half, like backpacking and working a little bit there. And then I lived in Costa Rica for a little bit and I was like, I'm kind of tired to move yes. around so much. So I thought I was kind of settled on Vancouver Island in Canada. Oh, I, I heard that's really beautiful. Yeah, it kind of resembled a little bit New Zealand in some ways. Okay. The landscapes and the mountains and the ocean. And then I met him and he really wanted to go to New Zealand and do a working holiday. So I was like, oh, okay, oh, I guess I'll let's go with do you. it again. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, and then you never left. No, you stayed here. Well, then I met somebody else, you know. So I guess it it is because of love at the end that I stayed because I do find it difficult. I'm very close to my family, so to be yes, and you're a long way from them, very long way from mm -hmm. them. So yeah, that's definitely love that's been keeping me here for that long. Well, love um, is a good reason. Yeah, <laughs> it's a beautiful reason to stay somewhere. Yeah. Earlier in the year, we supported this really wonderful project you'd been working on in the local retirement home here in Raglan. How did that whole project come about and what did you learn from it? So I used to work at the rest home three years ago and that was the first time that I was around people with dementia uh. and just elderly people in general And emotionally, I found it very difficult. I actually didn't last a very long time. Mm. There were time I'd like close the door, you know, in a bathroom and cry. Like it was just wow. really hard to acknowledge or see, I don't know, residents looking for their wife that's passed, passed away, away or... Aww. A lady that was like she was afraid of dark and she wanted me to cuddle her before going Aww. to sleep like it was sweet but it was also kind of like sad because yes her family was not around anymore and people that like they were hurting you know physically and mentally and they would say it and mm -hmm. and they were also really amazing beautiful moments and and um, some of the residents makes friend with other residents and with the staff and it's also like a beautiful rest home you know but um yeah after I left there I was kind of like kind of stayed with me and the only thing I wish and I think that's like the health system in Canada it's the same thing it's often like understaffed or it's um, just difficult to have enough time to maybe take more of our time to do the things slowly and talk with people because they do want to socialize and yeah, they do want to the company 
Yeah, and if you start, some of them are more quiet, but other you could talk to them all day and they want to tell you their whole life Everything. story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I felt like I wanted to know some of their life stories and I didn't, like at work, I didn't have the time mm, to the do that. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think I, I started asking myself questions. You know, once you re reach a certain age, they've seen things from the Second World War, for example, which mm. I've never experienced or they've experienced the, I mean, there are still divisions in, in some ways, but there was a lady who was telling me, you know, if she was to talk to a Maori person, for example, and she is European, her parents would punish her or, you know, she wasn't allowed to. Wow. So all of those things that I haven't experienced or seen. So, yeah, I was interested to hear about, yeah, history and what they have experienced and, I always try and do links with my own life when I hear other people's stories or we want to relate as human beings, yes, I think. Yes, of course. So. And so you would sit with them, you'd interview them, and then, because I've read a few of the stories that you'd written, you'd write up the story and it was getting published in the local newspaper. Is that right? Or did it end up other places as well? It was a small contract with the the local rag and the Chronicle. I would sit down with them and s some of them, because that was when I was not working there anymore, so I didn't know everybody. And sometimes I would take the chance to go and speak with someone that I didn't know. And not everyone is able or has the capacity to tell their life stories or remembers. Yes. So there would be time I would start a conversation with someone and then it was kind of going nowhere or the person wasn't able to have this conversation. So I'd either go into someone else's room and try again or go home and just try another day until I met someone who kind of had a story that could be told. Yes, um, had the capacity to tell it. So yeah. from from those interviews when you did find someone, were there any any favorites or any that stood out, any little learnings that you kind of gleaned from, from listening to these stories? Because it would be quite fascinating hearing them. Yeah, there's definitely one that marked me more than the others or that made me dream more than the others, and it was with Joyce. Her husband was working in lighthouses, mm, which is I not... I read that one. Yeah, yeah that, that was, was the first beautiful. one, actually. Mm. Do people still work in lighthouses? I guess so. Maybe around the world. Not so much in New Zealand that I know of. I think they're all automated yeah. <laughs> these days. Yeah, we don't have lighthouse keepers like we used to. Yeah, exactly. So again, that was something that fascinated me because I have not met or that's not the case as much today and every time she'd have to move with her whole family you know so her kids were coming so for a few months they were always like moving from different lighthouses in New Zealand depending on where work was needed mm. yeah so she would tell me that she loved to read books so she would just sit and watch the ocean and read her books and her husband would be working and she'd be cooking and kind of teaching the kids like homeschooling them okay and now that I'm back at the rest home, I want to write a, another story about one of the resident there mm. is, um, had a career as a pigeon racer. A pigeon racer? Yeah. How does one race pigeons? <laughs> well, it's funny because for the past two months, I don't know why, it just, it, it keeps coming up in my head that I, I would love to raise a pigeon and okay. race it or, okay. or at least 
Who do we raise them with? (laughs) With any other bird or only other pigeons? Uh, You can look on like Trade Me and Facebook markets. You can actually buy pigeons that are like, so there's different types of bread. Breeds. Breeds, yeah. That are pigeon, like racing pigeons. Okay. Yeah. So the racing pigeons. I did not know about this. Yeah. And if you have, so... Once they they race, if they do win the race, then they become this kind of like famous breed. Okay. So if you mix that pigeon with another really good pigeon, they have babies, then they're going to be more expensive. Professional pigeons. Yeah. But Okay, there's a lot of questions I have about this, but <laughs> that might be another podcast. Topic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where do you race them? How do you no, follow do you the home? race? At your home. Oh, at your home. Yeah. But where do they go? Yeah, so you have them first at your home. And then for me, like I maybe one day I would do the race. But first of all, I was I was just telling my partner, you know, how fun would it be that it can go to your workshop and just send you messages that I send you, you know, like back in the days. Literal pigeon messaging. Yes. Yeah. So if you let them free around your property, after one month only, they will get to know the area well. Right. And then afterwards, you can drive up to like maybe 200Ks, even more. Wow. And you let them free and they will know oh, how to return. Home. Yeah. Incredible. I know. This is very Game of Thrones. You yeah. know, the little ravens off with their messages on their, on their I legs. I haven't watched it. Oh, okay. I, well, I feel like you'd appreciate that part. <laughs> very similar messaging style. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that's cool. Anyway, so I might write a, I might write <laughs> a, like a story worth. about him because, yeah, I've been thinking about it. And then I met him and he told me he was a pigeon racer. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And I wanted to know everything about it, but I didn't have time. So mm. anyways, that might be coming up. <laughs> I look forward to reading that one. Yeah. Um, I know creativity is a huge part of what drives you. How do you think others can be encouraged to spark and share their creativity? I think by having time, like Mm. taking the time to think. And for me, I think it was with um, reading about what other artists are doing really kind of inspired me to do something similar if it did hit at one of my internal quarter, you know. And I guess um, if I look at how the type of creative work that I do, I can tell you which artists are doing this, the things I want to be doing. It's mm. kind of, yeah. So I think one way would be to look at what other artists, who who do you look up to and why? And there's a book called The Artist's Way. Maybe mm. you've heard I've about heard of it. the title. Yeah. The Artist's Way. I feel that if you feel like you want to be creative or you want to be an artist, but you don't really know where to start or who you are, to find your own voice and to explore your creativity, that's a good activity book for starting point yeah yeah do you think that anyone can be an artist I think everyone is Mm. yeah it's in the way that we interpret things or what how we you know you could ask a hundred people to draw a tree and it would all be done differently and that one is like an activity book you know it's like a also it gives you prompts and then you then you can experience it and then maybe there's something in there that sparks something in you and then you want to do it again or even just like taking there's one one activity that I remember is like laying on your bed and listening to a whole album like who does that nowadays or I feel like we're so we're too busy yeah Mm. um 
And maybe there is a particular song in that album that you like because of what it says or because of the that type of music that you might want to be able to play or something like that. Mm, that sounds like a nice gentle starting point, mm. <laughs> lying in bed and listening to an album. That sounds lovely, actually. Mm. And what project, because you've mentioned quite a few different projects that you're involved in, yeah. what are you most excited about out of all of those different ones you've got on the go? I think my novel is what I'm most excited about because I've been working on it for more than two years now. And it's uh-huh. kind of like, I feel like ever since I'm little, I'm like, one day I'm going to write a book, you know. Mm. I started a lot of, well, a few different books and I was never really content or, or ready to publish. And this one, I think I'm going to be really proud because I feel really attached to the story and And I feel like I found my voice as an artist and my kind of mark, if I can say that, that thing that I feel like makes me me, my aesthetics or my voice. And that story is very me. So, yeah, I think that's what I'm most excited about publishing for the first time. That is very exciting. Yeah. I know many, many people out there will be listening to this and thinking, oh, yes, I would love to write a book. I feel like I've had so many people say to me over the years, that they would love to write a book, you know. Mm. And I have heard a saying that everyone has one book in them. I'm sure. I, I believe that. Or, <laughs> Everyone's got many. something to tell. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Are you writing, I'm just curious, are you writing in French or in English? Because, in English. Oh, wow. So you're writing in English because French is your native yes. language, right? Yeah. It's funny because so I was studying literature during COVID and that's how this book came about as a, a final project and I wrote it in French. Okay. And then I was thinking and I thought, I need to write it in English. So I kind of rewrote it in English. It's based on a true story. I've been exchanging with an Argentinian writer for three years. It's a book that's based on her correspondences. Oh, um, so letters between you and the person in Argentina. Yeah. And oh, we never met. Wow, you've never met. No. So you're writing physical posted letters or you're emailing? We're doing both. Both. And also text messages. But I kind of pushed the story to the extreme and romanticized it. So it's about this girl who lives in Tunisia because I wanted like a real cultural clash. Okay. And it's true that he lives in the really poor area of Buenos Aires. Mm. And at some point he stops answering and she goes to find him in Buenos Aires. But so there's this thing of language, like what links them together is that they can speak English. So it kind of didn't make sense to write it in French in my head. Gotcha. Yeah. And some words are in Spanish as well in the text as he speaks. And yeah. Fascinating. Okay, well, I will be on the book list (laughs) for when this comes out. I'll be keen to read it. I'll bring it along to my book club Uh, as well. I'll tell you what everyone thinks. Because you wrote a book as well, eh? Mm, I did, yeah, the to-be list. Mm. Um, And I've done a couple of children's books as well before that. So I didn't know that. Yes, I do love it. Yeah, I love writing as well. We, We have that in common. And it is so much fun writing a book, but it's also so much work. Yeah. It does take a really long time. So, yeah. yes, kudos to you for actually sticking with it. Thank <laughs> and you. And doing it because it's, it's not a short process. Yeah, and I think it's important to let work boil. You know, I think I was like so excited and I'm still very excited to let it out, but it's okay to just 
give it space and yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be better for it, I think, if you yeah. do that. Agree. And um, you mentioned earlier the documentary project that you're working on. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because I feel like it's a very relevant and interesting topic for people, mm. the kind of combination of migrants, New Zealand, that dynamic. So could you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I think this the idea of, of wanting to do that documentary started because I myself am a migrant and when I went through the process of immigrating, it was challenging in some ways. And living in Rigeland, there's so many migrants. So I did came across a lot of people and I started being curious, you know, what's your story of migration and what has happened? And often if I would be sitting down in a cafe with migrant friends, it'd be like, oh, my visa has not come through yet. And it like creates a lot it's of stress. Stressful. Yeah. yeah, really stressful. Or they were people that wouldn't be receiving their visa on time and therefore they were scared of facing deportation and and they're like, oh, should I leave or should I stay? I don't know what to do. And yeah, and I felt like we were talking about this as like almost a secret between us migrants because it's like, oh, if we're complaining, maybe our visa, you know, all those thoughts are coming mm. at you and you're just like... Every move you make almost can feel like... Um, it's being evaluated. Yeah, like it could really affect your status for some reason because it's like everything's uncertain until you have that piece of paper. So it started like this. And um, so the idea is to talk, to maybe question the system in place in some ways and also just give space for migrants of different ethnicity and group age and type of visas that they have applied or that they have to speak up about their stories and also just um, maybe talk about how it was for them to integrate the country or what what are their cultural practices that they still practice in New Zealand and um, to try and maybe see migration as a as gold you know as something that can all enrich us because it's like new yeah, languages, new, new ideas, new yeah, foods, new exactly. ways of looking at things mm. all coming into the country. Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a lot of beauty there. And again, because it is quite a political type of project and it can be controversial. Yeah. And I imagine people might be quite shy or nervous about being interviewed, so it's probably a bit tricky trying to get them on board for the project, especially if they were still in the visa process. I think if they already had it, then they could relax a little bit. But yeah. have you found that? Yeah. Maybe there were a few that were reluctant to speak and I didn't want to force anything. And I was like, if, if it doesn't feel right, just don't do it. But there's the option of of having a black screen and just an interview and modifying your voice and whatnot, mm, you know? Protecting them that way. Yeah. But most people were people that maybe had a bit of resentment and a little bit of they felt liberated by being able to, to share, share the stories. So, um, yeah, I was really surprised and, and quite um, happy with how many people were willing to open up and actually speak with their face and their name and everything. That's great. Yeah. So it is a, a big project and uh, 
I still have a few interviews to do. Um, the only thing, I feel like I've covered a lot of different visas, like families that were affected by a partner visa. There's something oh, yes. called, um, yeah, the acceptable standard of health. So if you oh. cost, if you're disabled, for example, and therefore every year um, there's a cost attached to looking after you that the government pays. And if you exceed right. a certain number, then you might face um, having your residency declined. Oh, um, yes. And that's all the health checks you have to go through, right? Because you have to have a heart test and yeah. I've had friends that have had to do all these tests before. Yeah, which I wasn't aware of because I was clear, but I didn't know that if you're not clear, what happens, you know? And yeah. then I met those people and there's actually, it's been going on for years that people are trying to abolish this standard of health mm. and in Canada it was also in place and they abolished it a few okay. years ago wow. so that could be an example you know for New Zealand and and how um, that changed the reality for migrants in Canada and yeah if it can work or not. Mm, such a tricky thing to evaluate health. I mean, because health can change so quickly. You could be in absolutely perfect health when you apply for your visa and then, you know, a few months later <laughs> you could be diagnosed with something or you could have an accident and severely injure or disable yourself. Or So, yeah, I can see the, the many ethical dilemmas <laughs> around that one. Yeah, and I, I just think that... From my perspective, if someone contributes in the country or have been contributing to the countries for many years and then they finally apply for their residency and uh, you're going to cost us too much money, you know, go back to your country and they're going to be costing someone, you know, money to be looked after. So I just, yeah, find that a little bit unfair because if they're citizen here in New Zealand, which are also contributing to the country, if, if they become disabled or something happens to them, the government will look after them. But I do understand that everything needs to have a boundary or a limit. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. And the last kind of thing that I want to cover is um, how migrants, workers um, can be affected. Because oh, of, yes, that's a big topic. So, yeah, at the moment there's a lot of, um, I was just in the Waikato time, I believe, last week, um, where a group of Bangladesh people were promised a nice place to live and good okay. working conditions. And they were like living in these cramped small houses uh. and not really... Paid Being well. looked after. Yeah. Was that for kiwi fruit picking? Or I think so. I think like it that? was. Yeah, yeah, I know that industries had a lot of issues with yeah, so with how, how they treat their workers. Yeah. So I'm in touch with um, that group and I should be going to see them um, in the next few weeks before I go. Mm, that'll um, be interesting. Yeah. yeah. I've heard a few pretty sad stories. <laughs> Same with them, um, lots of the different fruit picking industries you know not just kiwi fruit but and also working on farms and kind of any any labor intensive jobs and a lot of people from the islands coming over the pacific islands and sending all their money back home and exactly. you know, living in pretty rugged conditions here and not really getting paid fairly and yeah so it does happen I think it's um, because some some people that are coming from conditions that are really harsh, um, they're kind of willing to live and do anything to be Make working. Money for their families, yeah. It's yeah. a pretty powerful incentive if you have to look after your whole family back home. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, wow. What's the documentary going to be called? 
Black Rainbow. Black Rainbow, just so people can, you know, look out for it yeah. <laughs> when it's released. Yeah, so I'm hoping to have it done uh, by the end of this year, and I'm planning to do a collaborative exhibition with two other artists in New Zealand. So there's um, Abby... I need to look up her last name, but she's a photographer in Auckland that takes portraits of migrants. Oh, wow. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, that's a great collaboration. And then there's Ying Chen. Uh, she's a performer artist in Auckland as well. And I've seen one of her performance, mm. which was about migration, and it blew my mind. And I was like, we need to do something together. Great. Yeah. So the idea is to do like an interactive exhibition where in one room my film's going to be shown. And then as soon as vid- visitors arrive, they will be pulled into her performance. They will have to interact with what's happening. Okay. And then um, Abby's portraits are going to be shown on the walls. Mm. And I want to do it at the airport. Like, that's my oh, dream. Airport. Wow, that's a great idea. Because <laughs> it's like a that's transition. A spot. Yeah. So I've like, I've emailed the Auckland Airport, Wellington Airport, Hamilton Airport, mm. and even Queenstown, but no one has replied. So I'm just going to keep on trying, like calling them and maybe showing up and trying to organize it there because that would be like, yeah, yeah, a dream. So we'll see. If anyone out there works at an airport, yeah, call me. <laughs> we for need me to hear in touch. from you. Yeah. Oh wow. Absolutely. Mm. And um, do you have any favorite artists to inspire you that others might want to check out? I know you've mentioned a few names and also that book, The Artist's Way. But mm. anyone you're following at the moment that you think is particularly amazing and, and worth a look? Yeah, Patty Smith is like my number one favorite artist of all time. I'm very inspired by her writing, her poems, her music, her story, just how she speaks, how she shows up. And there's also Sophie Cal. She's a French artist. Okay, and Sophie Cal. Yeah, I'd say these are my two favorites. Um, and Leonard Cohen as well, oh, Canadian. Yes. Yeah. Good starting point. Mm. Mm. Oh, well, thank you, Elizabeth. You're welcome. Really, we've covered a lot of different topics. Yeah. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, just keep sharing your your joy and your creativity with everyone around you. I think we're really lucky to have you here in the, the local community in Raglan. So thank you for choosing us to mm. migrate to. Thank you. <laughs> listening to the vibe lifter podcast we hope that tuning into this interview has lifted your vibe check out reglanfoodco.com to learn more about the people and projects we're stoked to be supporting that you play